And now we're live. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. I am your host, David, and with me, as always, is Daniel. What up, y'all? It is just the two of us tonight on uh, on, a, on a very special night when we uh, when we reflect, we we look back on a uh, a veritable icon of the of the horror genre. So uh, I am really excited about this because this this is a movie that um, I don't think ever gets old. In fact, I think it's it, it gets better with age. I I think like uh, watching Candyman uh, last night to get ready for this is probably the, it's the first time I've seen it in at least twenty years because um, I was in high school last time I watched it, and I'm twenty years out of high school now. So it's been at least twenty years since I've watched Candyman, and uh, yeah, I was I was pumped to be watching it last night. Oh, okay. So um, for me, it's been not quite so long. I think the last time I watched this was right around the time that they announced the new one. So sometime in like 2018. There we go. So uh, so it's been about three years and and I was I was pumped to watch it again because it had been quite some time before that last one since I had seen it. Um, and, uh, Tony Todd, obviously, you know, I'm a huge fan of his, you know, be it, be it as, uh, as the candy man, or, um, I actually first came to know him Star Trek. uh, yeah, Kirk on Star Trek, uh, Worf's brother. And and he's, he's just so great at everything. Yeah, man. Just, just absolutely amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, and as we get into it, we'll talk about it, but guys, it's just, I mean, it's, it's the voice, right? I mean, that's, that's such a, that's just such an iconic part of, of uh of what you know of what makes Candyman. um uh, we will say here at the top just for anybody who's listening we are discussing the Candyman from 1992 so if we because we didn't want to spoil any we won we haven't watched the new one but we didn't want to spoil mm-hmm. anything for it we know it's pretty new but it may spoil if it's like a straight up remake so just be aware of that but the movie we are discussing is uh almost 30 years old now yeah, yeah, and it's 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 high time to watch it if you haven't. Absolutely. Uh, if if you're listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure that you've already seen the movie. Um, you know, if you're listening to a horror movie podcast and and you haven't seen it, well, it, you you've got to do better. And if you're, <laughs> uh, I don't want to gatekeep either. So if you're new to the genre and that's why you're doing this, do yourself a favor and and watch this movie. Um, I like to think there are people out there that, that like, will they'll be like, Oh, I kind of want to see that movie. And then, but they, they watch us to like, take the edge off. It's like, okay, these guys are going to kind (laughs) of tell me and I'll know what to expect. And then I can go into it. Well, spoilers will, uh, will abound. So, um, you know, beware because we will be talking about lots of, of different elements of the movie and, um, and there won't be any spoiler warnings from here on out. This is uh, this is it as far as spoiler warnings go. 
Um, so right off the bat, um, that we've, we've done this for every other episode. Um, I like to give like a brief overview of, of what our thoughts on a movie is, uh, before we move into, you know, uh, digesting the movie and, and tearing it apart and all that. So this is, I mean, you look this up on any website and it's going to be called a horror classic, a modern horror classic or an iconic horror movie. Um, does it live up to the expectation that has been set by others? Um, how do you feel about the movie, especially having come into this, uh, uh, Daniel, after 20 years of not having seen this movie? Uh, what what were your big takeaways? So um, first first takeaway is this movie was way bloodier than I remembered. Um, like I remembered it being a slasher flick, but I didn't remember just some of the scenes with just absolute buckets of blood. Yeah. Um, other than that, like uh, it was it still felt fresh. It still felt current uh, being 30 years old and some of the things that we're going to get into with some of the commentary that there is to be made about uh, about what was going on in this movie. So many of those things still felt current, which is also simultaneously probably a reflection or a discussion on society and our, yes. our, our inability to grow at like the right rate. Um, but it was it was so much fun watching it again. Like I remember bits and pieces of it. Um, but I had forgotten how utterly psychological it could be at times. Um, Absolutely. I, I, like I said, I'd, I'd forgotten how much blood, like I, I had like these flashes. I had like little bits that I remembered, you know, just like these, just these, these still frames um, that, that, that I remembered about it, but just seeing it all put together again, it, it didn't, it was odd. So often I'll go back and watch these movies that I haven't seen in so long. And it's just like, it's kind of, it's like refreshing, like, oh, yeah, I remember this. You know, it's like meeting up with an old friend you haven't seen in a while. But when I watched Candyman again last night, I don't know if it's because I'm older or or what, or maybe because I was looking at it through a different lens of, of mm -hmm. kind of dissecting it and things like that. But it, it felt fresh and it felt new and it was it was exciting to watch it again last night. Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Every time I watch this movie, I feel like it becomes more and more relevant. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, as, as you get older, you know, your, your, your eyes are open to, to what, what is going on in society and, and the world that we live in, um, you know, your world grows, it expands. And, and I think that this, this is one of those movies that, um, doesn't shy away from that. Um, right. and, uh, and you're right. This is a ridiculously gory movie. Yeah, man. Um, like yeah, uh, and, and the the really interesting thing is that there's not a lot of scenes that feature gore. Uh, like throughout, like this probably isn't nearly as gory as something like a Friday the Thirteenth, right? Or 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 a Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. But the scenes that do feature gore, like there is no holding back, and and part of that is. Clive Barker, yeah. like he he is in, in in my mind like the master at writing just like juicy like gut falling out of you. Yeah, or it's it's just um and 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 he has so much fun with it and he uses it to great effect and and I think that um that the director here Bernard really got 
to that. He really understood that. And he, he didn't overdo it because uh, it's it's not everyone's cup of tea. Right. right. Uh, like Hellraiser, I think, is one of those movies where like it's amazing. And I, I, I love Barker and I love Hellraiser, but it's not for everyone because of of how much gore is in the movie. Right. So uh, when you when you see something like Candyman, the gore is used for effect. Yeah, it's, and, it's extremely impactful. It's not mm-hmm. it's not when I say buckets of blood, I don't mean it's constant. It's just when it's there, there's so much of it that it takes your breath away at times. And and the way that it's the way that it's placed around the scenes uh even a couple of times, it's it, there's a lot of it but not in a lot of the movie if that makes sense, right? It's just yeah. when it's there, there's a ton of it, but it's not yeah. there that often. Yeah, um, and I, I I feel that same way about it. It, it most it most definitely is a slasher. You said that, um, and and I think it's very easy to forget that this is a slasher because it is so psychological. Yeah. Um. You you can approach this movie in in many different ways, and one of them is um the way that Neri didn't like the approach to Rosemary's baby right? <laughs> where, where it was like, no, uh, you know, it wasn't in her head and all of this wasn't actually happening. Like you could take that approach that Helen is, you know, just, it's this like slow descent into madness. Right. And, um, you know, the whole thing is, is the cheating husband and she can't handle the stress of, um, you know, her, her thesis and, and everything that's going wrong. Um, you could take that view um, but I think that that's not as exciting as, yeah. as, as looking into what Barker wanted us to look into. And, and I think that, you know, getting back to the idea of, you know, does it deserve the title of modern horror classic? I, I mean, I think, I think for a couple of reasons, one, because it's an amazing film. Um, it's just, it's, it's great to watch. It's a lot of fun Two, It's scary. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it deserves that, but three, Candyman was something that became pervasive. It was something that even people who had never seen the movie knew this idea that, you know, like knew this idea that you could say Candyman in the mirror and turn the lights off and he'd appear. You know, it was uh it became a, a new generation's Bloody Mary. It just it became yeah. another it, without even seeing the movie, the idea of Candyman became its own urban legend, which is fascinating when viewed through the idea of the fact that this movie starts with the exploration of urban legends. So exactly. th- this movie this movie took its and made its own urban legend that then quite literally became an urban legend. And <laughs> and I mean for little kids mostly. That's not it's not the type of cautionary tale that a lot of urban legends are, but it became like this great campfire story that like every 10-year-old thought they had a grasp on even though they'd never seen the movie, right? But you 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 knew the idea of how Candyman worked. And so do I think it's deserving of the title modern classic? Absolutely. I think without a doubt it deserves that title. Yeah, I uh, I I have to agree. I have to agree. And uh, to um to get at that uh that point there of, you know, it's uh it's a folk tale, right? It's uh it's an urban legend. Um that is essentially what this is, right? Yeah. Um but the the use of it and how how that's turned into something other than a cautionary tale it's almost like a bastardization of it um is is interesting and and we're 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 gonna get there um you know what let's jump ahead to that because i i i was gonna talk about the setting um 
the well, this this idea of the the modern urban gothic film right and, and um, i mean and that plays into the, the same thing so yeah okay so we, we can go there so um so uh, the the idea of a gothic movie right uh a gothic horror movie this this goes back to the silent films right probably the best examples the uh, of this that that we have in pop culture are the old universal monster movies yeah like dracula, dracula frankenstein. frankenstein right and usually people say it in that order although frankenstein, <laughs> frankenstein, frankenstein is clearly the better movie um although interestingly uh, Philip Glass, the guy who scored this movie, yes. brilliant score, oh, right? Um, he did a score for the original 1930 Dracula I because Dracula was made in uh, like in the this real transitional period where there were still silent movies coming out in 1930. Uh, so, like, you have the jazz singer in 1928, but very few movies are that transition is very slow. So you have very little music. You have a little bit of music at the beginning. You have a little bit of music at the end. Right. right? Um, and that's pretty much it. The rest of the movie is silent with the exception of the dialogue. So Philip Glass made this incredible score to Dracula. So like 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 a post thing, not like he did it when it came out. Okay, that's no, like, no, no, when, no, no, no. He's, is he's not is that Philip old. Glass Dracula? Because I'm going to tell you, these years <laughs> don't seem to add up. No, no, no. He he did it after the fact. It was one of these things where uh, I think Universal either commissioned the score after he had worked on Candyman, or this was like a pet project of his or something like that. But um, the only way to hear the score is to either purchase the actual score in which case you're not you know seeing it with the film right or uh it, it was included on the blu-ray and it i i gotta tell you it, it completely changes the movie it's I, uh I it's, it's so good yeah uh so so that's that's what we are so accustomed to when we hear gothic right dracula the castle right capes and and yeah. all of this hammer um, hammer horror hammer horror right yeah so um, this pushes it into a completely different setting because we, we do have such a thing as, as American Gothic, right? Um, but American urban Gothic, I think, gets this kickstart with Candyman, right? Um, and it's, it's so unique. And, and the movie, I think, doesn't feel like any other horror movie you watch a slasher movie from the 1980s and you know it's a slasher movie right you got you got you got summer camp and you got suburban street right yeah i mean that, that's where they all take place it's like suburban neighborhood summer camp that's your 70s 80s slasher films mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um and and in a lot of ways Candyman is like those classic gothic monsters right um so the 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 question is, I think, does Candyman work as a reimagining of the gothic horror story? Does the character Candyman work as a reimagining of the gothic monster? Um, does the does the does it work for what is essentially a, a folktale or a yeah. myth? Yeah. 
So I think that there's a couple things here that are absolute standouts in the fact that these are just huge check marks that you can put next to the idea of Candyman being uh, gothic fiction. One being um, the idea that this is a monster movie, right? Like this is very specifically about this one guy. He's a monster. But to even set that immediately, the very first line of this film is it's very short. I don't even know if you would call it monologue. It's just like a snippet of Candyman talking and he says they say that I've shed innocent blood but what is blood if not for spilling I mean immediately yeah. boom this guy's a fucking monster doesn't care if if it's innocent blood blood is blood blood is for spilling right so they open with this so you're immediately like okay so the antagonist in this movie is a monster so boom big check right gothic but I think that one of the things that's so brilliantly done about this when it comes to talking about it as American urban gothic when you watch gothic you mentioned in the castles you see a lot of swamps you see a lot of cemeteries you get a lot of this idea of death and decay through the setting of a of a, of a gothic film what makes this modern american urban gothic is the death and decay is the death and decay of an actual city yeah. you're you're watching these people walk through uh an area that is dead and dying and you're seeing a a, a space a, a um a housing development that is just absolutely ravaged um through through different things you see you see what appear to be like drug dealers or something or they refer to them as gangbangers at one point in the movie um you see you know this this public bathroom where they say that Candyman lives and it's just covered in graffiti and there's literal shit on the walls. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and she, and she's at one point, um, Virginia Madsen is, is walking through this housing project where there are just holes in walls and ceilings that she's crawling through to just get to these abandoned apartments. And it, it takes this idea of using death and decay as a setting and uses it less literally but at the same time, just as literally, it, it's it is death and it is decay. It's just not skeletons and and random body parts hanging around in a catacombs. It's it's watching a community that is dying and decaying. And so I think that when you look at that as the setting and you look at the monster, I think that urban gothic is the perfect description for this movie. Yeah. Um I I, I look at um um what was the name of the the housing development? Uh, Cabrini Green. Cabrini Green. I look at Cabrini Green, and that is essentially Dracula's castle. Yeah, that's that's Frankenstein's um, laboratory. Uh, uh, laboratory. Yeah, the the laboratory. Right. Um, <laughs> that's um, and and that is what we have there. And these are always creaky old places where there's, you know, cobwebs, right? Like I, I think about that that scene in Dracula where where Dracula himself walks through the cobwebs, right? Yeah. And, and, and Renfield is like, you know, ah, what, what what's going on here, <laughs> right? And 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 it reminds me of how when uh, when they're visiting Cabrini Green for the first time, they they have like they're completely at a loss that people can live this way. Yeah. Right. Um, it's um, there's also uh, there's uh, you, you mentioned the beginning of the movie. Right. Uh, and of course, if every word that comes out of Tony Todd's oh. mouth is um, exquisite, as he oh, says. Right. Yes. Uh, uh, the pain will be exquisite. The I pain. love that line. Yes. Yeah. Um, shit. What's what, what's the line? It says the pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. That's my favorite yes. line in the whole movie. Um, 
there's uh in, in the very first shot of the movie it's very hitchcockian where you uh, it's like this tracking shot of like just this the street and and you're watching the buildings just get worse and worse and worse as it goes from a decent part of town to this really shitty part of town and um you see a lot of these establishing shots uh again done in an almost you know albert uh, uh alfred hitchcock way where like it's like really high up these like incredible crane shots yeah where like you're seeing the beauty of the university and then the 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 decay the urban decay that you keep talking about it's um it's a it's a setting that really does bring about this this feeling of dread it's it's a very as as gory as it is as um as bloody as it is um i think for me the most disturbing thing is the atmosphere yeah there's an atmosphere to this movie that is uh like it's really gothic yeah i mean that first time that she visits caprini uh, cabrini green the first time that she visits it you know nothing really happens there's one tiny scare and it's like it's a gag scare right when she pops Mm -hmm. back through the medicine cabinet yeah but it's and you know it's, it's coming, and it's still yeah, gets exactly. <laughs> and you, you, but and, but it's it's still just terrifying, just because of setting, just because of the feel of this whole thing, and the way that it's so perfectly set up by hearing these stories of Candyman. Because what's also interesting about this movie and the idea of Candyman as a monster is you're presented very early in the movie with these two different ideas of what Candyman is there's this idea that he you say it in the mirror and he appears behind you and then he murders you as told in the urban legend but then she meets people who are from Cabrini Green and they have this very real story that she's able to look up newspaper articles about about somebody who was murdered by someone who that is referred to in that neighborhood as Candyman and so you're presented very early on with this idea of like you were saying, is this all in her head? And so then you immediately, with, within the first half of the movie, before you meet, you know, Tony Todd as actual Candyman, the one that, that we know and love, you meet this guy who just like runs this neighborhood or at least this building who has used the idea of Candyman to promote his own image. So you're also faced with this very real life idea of of a of a plausible and human monster before you're face to face with the idea of this supernatural one and all of that just plays so well into this constant feeling of dread that you have while watching this movie yeah yeah you nailed it man um it's um i i love i love that mixing of of the folklore with the with the reality it's something that Candyman tells her. Um, you've you've taken away my my power. Yes, right. Um, yeah, like uh, you've taken away my congregation's faith. my congregation's faith. Yeah, that's what he says. Um, and there's this idea that if he has a congregation, right, um, there are those that are exploiting it for their own uh, for their own benefit, right. Um, and and that's what that uh, with the fake Candyman, right? Was and doing. and so when she uh, she is a, she's assaulted by the fake Candyman, the the real man who just carries around a hook and runs this neighborhood, and he gets arrested because she's able to identify him. And so then by removing this this very real 
Candyman from the neighborhood. She gets rid of the fear of the idea of a Candyman, which, you know, essentially hurts his power. It's it's similar to, um, was it was it Freddy versus Jason, where the idea was that if they buried the if they buried the memory of Freddy Krueger, then he had no power, right? Because if you don't right. know who Freddy Krueger is, you can't dream about him. It's that same thing, like by rem- by removing the idea of no, we got the guy who was pretending to be Candyman. Candyman's not real, which is what she tells this little kid. Now he is no longer empowered because. It is. He is a. He is. A, he is a myth, right? And the, the the power of myths is the power of believing in said myth. Yeah, it's 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 uh, the idea that the story gets passed down. It's generational, right? And we will get to to the story because uh, what the myth is and what the myth represents, what Candyman represents, I think is is really the heart of the matter. Yeah. Um, it's it's at the heart of what Clive Barker wrote about it's it's at the heart of what uh robert bernard uh, got at in in the movie um but I, I i love i love that idea that you know he is the god of the congregation and there are these these priests these acolytes whatever you want to think of them as who are his surrogates in in society uh, making sure that the candy man continues to be free. right you know, and 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 what what I love is that every single one of those guys that was arrested for uh, for her assault, they were all dressed like him. Right. There was uh, like some sort of leather leather jacket, leather right. coats. Right. Because it was it was a long coat that um, that, you know, it, it didn't button down the middle. It went across the, the chest and there, uh, you know, the very large lapels they look like they could have been him. And then once you finally meet him, it's like, oh no, they are just, you know, as, uh, as the Bible would say, you know, made in his image. Right. Um, and you like, uh, and that's the thing, like you, what, what was, what's, what's really great about that is, uh, and so she runs into real life Candyman pretender and, and he says, you know, you want Candyman bitch, you found him. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you but then you actually meet Candyman and it's like, no, this dude would never talk like that. Right. Like yeah. this guy is so well spoken and and such the, a part of his game is pulling you into believing about him. Like that's very important to him. So when you when you meet when you actually meet Candyman, like you're you're almost disgusted with the fact that these people took his image and used it in a way of fear and but it's it's so it's uh it's like a copy of a copy of a copy right like if i gave my yeah. four-year-old a crayon and a cup co- and a copy of starry night and i was like hey make this happen that's that's what you get out of these out of the, the, the these guys that are pretending to be Candyman. like they're, they're nothing they're nothing like what he is they're they're what they're what he they want they are what they want him to be uh they are what they think is effective but in no way are they as frightening as the real Candyman because they bastardize the image so much. And I know we're going to get to sociopolitical takes. This is a, but, a good transition. But I mean, I, but I mean, and, and that's it's it's such that idea of it is such an amazing take, whether intentional or not, on what people will do with anything. Right. It's possible to take anything that you want to talk about, take something that you believe in and bend it to your will. 
Um, and you know, not, not to, not to bash religion, but it's so often that that's what happens, right? It's easy to take something that's old. We're told during this movie that the idea of Candyman goes back to 1890. This movie is in 1992. So at this point, it's a hundred year old story. Now, you know, Christianity, religion in general, much older than a hundred years, but the, the idea is still there where you take this, you take this idea, you take this image, you take this story that exists and then when something happens in your life that you need it, you can bend, tweak, and manipulate what you need to make it feel relevant to that moment, even though it comes from a time that isn't necessarily as relevant right now. So it's this idea of our myths, our ideas, are they living, breathing things? Do they change as time goes? Um, or are we just bastardized gangbangers in a leather coat who are using it, who are forcing it uh, a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. Um, I like that idea of, is the myth a, a living, breathing thing? Can you look at the myth and say, okay, well, um, that was, that was the myth. That was the, the folklore for the time. And, and this is, this is what it is now, right? Because the real, Candyman, right? Uh, Tony Todd's character was a real person who lived in a you know in a real time, right? And and once that was done, you know what was what was done to him his his murder, right? Um, that could have ended everything right there, except that the stories you know the brutality of it kept these stories alive, and 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 that's how he was created right he he is the living embodiment of his story yeah uh the the candy man that we meet the, that we meet is tony todd he's um i say modern day at the you know 92 when it came out but he's uh he's a modern day uh tulpa right he's mm-hmm. this uh he's this idea that that the that the belief in a concept and something gets so strong that it eventually gains a physical presence yeah um, and, and that's how uh, to transition into the third major point I wanted to talk about here is the is the social commentary that is uh, I mean, it's it, it's not it's not an undertone. No, <laughs> this no. this this is like, like in your face. This is. Yeah. Um, you know, he he is the living embodiment of racism and um, and what racism can do to a person so um this is the kind of movie that i think begs to be watched over and over again because the with uh, with symbolism uh you you watch something or you read something and uh it can be interpreted one way on one day and then on the next day you're like well what about this other thing and i think that's the beauty of it but i what i keep on coming to and and to me, what what is the uh, the, the real crux of, of the movie is Candyman is the living embodiment of racism and what um, what hate crime does to a society, to a community, right? Uh, and ultimately, how that leads to um, systemic issues, right? Um, Clive Barker being British. Um, the original story is uh, is in England. It was adapted to be uh, an American story, right? Um, so 
when Helen comes in and with all the best intentions tries to save this community, right? With you don't have to fear Candyman, he's not real, right? Um, what she is effectively doing is taking away the the power that remembering this horrific brutal act has on people yeah right um in the same way that uh deer are born knowing what well, you know what i should go that way so i can get some water right <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's a good point trauma is so ingrained in our dna you know that to attempt to remove trauma from from uh not just a single person but from a community is to alter the very fabric of that community's reality yeah uh, and and simply because we do not believe in that reality does not make it so yeah right because she she uh she she says it you know to to bernadette she's like I don't believe in any of this. And Bernadette doesn't believe it either. Right. But very clearly Bernadette, even though she, she is black, she didn't grow up at Cabrini green. Right. Cause she, 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 she very much has her reservations about even going there. Yeah. She's, she, she had a very privileged life in what we can, uh, or I assume had a privileged life in much the same way that Helen did. Uh, so it, it's, it is as much a race issue as it is a class issue um and 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 those two things mixed together to form what what is the the ultimate commentary i think on um in in this movie where 30 years later we're still talking about this because it's still relevant today right right? well i mean and like uh this this idea of uh when you're like but before before the I, I mean, partially the social economic thing, but also like a movie trope, um, you know, when, when we talk about this being American urban gothic and or, you know, and it's a slasher, but there's not that much slashing. You know, there, there's a lot of genre bending in this film. Mm-hmm. And I think that one thing that's easy to overlook is the idea that it takes the uh, cinematic trope of the white savior and mm-hmm. turns it completely on its head because in her attempts to document this and talk about it she's presented in the way of like a white savior and she she ends up getting you know the fake candy man arrested and then tells the kid candy man's not real you know we got this guy and so it you know until that moment you're like oh okay this again but then you find out that it's her fucking fault that yeah. like that he comes back and not just because she said his name in the mirror when she was goofing around with Bernadette, but because she went into this place where she had no business being and she 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 disrupted the very fabric of of what of, of this community that they would built. And that's not to say that it's a negative thing to go into a community and have a murderer arrested because he assaults you. But the the idea that that while trying to be the 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 good girl white savior in the underprivileged black neighborhood, she's the one she brings this on herself. When you look at the idea of Candyman as being the absolute embodiment of of racism, just that idea that 
I'm not from here. I'm educated. I'm well-to-do. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to tell these people that Candyman's not real. And I'm going to document all this. And I'm writing a thesis. And I'm going to make it all better by telling these people that that this is a myth, that this isn't real. The idea of taking this and then making that the catalyst for all of the horrible things that happened to her. It's like, not only did you bring this on yourself, you brought this on yourself because you were, you, you stepped out of your lane way too far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what you, you look at that and you're like, and it's one of those things you're talking about systemic, right? It's, it's easy to, it's easy to look at somebody who uses the N word and be like, man, that guy's racist, right? It's, it's one of those harder things to look at sometimes when you it's one of those things that, that it's harder to look at somebody who is actively disparaging um, someone else's culture. And even if they're coming at it from the idea of the fact that they're educated, so they know better, it's tougher to look at somebody through from that angle and be like, you know, that's kind of fucked up. And that is still kind of racist, right? Yeah. Like you can't just come at this outside looking in and think that you're going to fix everything by, by tugging this one thread. And so it's, it's this really great idea of, yeah, I mean, Candyman, right. He's a murderer. He's a monster, but like also, you know, she, she fucked around and found out. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, And, and, you know, one of the things that always irked me about Helen, because I, I, I do think that ultimately Helen is, is a tragic character. Uh, because although, um, like you said, she fucked around and found out, I do think that ultimately her heart was in the right place. I'll um, give you that. And she, um, I mean, she gave her life to to save um, right. uh, Jonathan, is it? Anthony. Right? Anthony, yeah. Um, not anywhere near. <laughs> Hit in the mark there. Uh, okay, yeah, thank you. I got I got the one blend. So um, she, uh, the only reason she got involved in this was for her own benefit. One right. of the things, one of the things that always irked me about this was um, pretty early on in the movie, uh, she is in uh, a classroom typing away on a computer. And uh, one of the custodial staff comes in and hears what it is that she's uh, writing her report on. Right. And she says, oh, you're talking, you're you're writing about Candyman or something like that. And she doesn't even know this person's name until she figures out that she can use her for her own research. So it's there. There is no care given to the community, which means there is no care given to the culture, which means that ultimately everything you're doing is uh, self-serving. Yeah. And, well, and there's there's also that that fascinating dichotomy there of um, she has the privilege of this just being a story that she's researching 
while she's talking to people who have lived a very real scenario where they were in a building where a woman was killed by someone who called himself Candyman. And she she has, you know, and I know it's a tired phrase now, but she has, like I said, the privilege of being like, oh, I thought this was this was just a story that teenagers tell. And, you know, and she has the ability to look at it with that while these women have lived through very real life trauma. Yeah. Um, Anthony's mom. And Marie. Uh, yeah. She the when they meet her, it is it's such a a heartbreaking scene, but also I think such a real scene when she says over and over again, they're not going to get my son. Right. Uh, it's this, you know, this idea that, you know, uh, well, for starters, who is they? Right. Right. Because that, that's a very ambiguous term. Uh, she does say that we're not all like the boys downstairs. Right. Right. Um, but because we we're, we're all supposed to be gangbangers, right? Yeah, that's that's what she says. You know, that's and 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 often as uh, enlightened as some may think they are, that's the perception that's out yeah. there. And and unless you take the time to really, um, you know, un, unwind and unpack that, um, there there is no movement on this, which is why the system persists right um and and so we 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 have that idea that okay well you know are they the ones that are going to get him or is it the culture of well he's a black boy therefore he must be one of those right right do do we as america because of all of the 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 different issues that we have, right? To to not go into every single issue because you know we'd be here all night, right? <laughs> um, do we create this, right? Um, do do we ensure that this is the his fate, that it is set in stone, right? Uh, and she's she's so uh, she has such conviction that that is not how he's going to end up. Uh, and it's my understanding that in the new Candyman movie, uh, he is the central character. Oh, okay. So, uh, so the new Candyman is a sequel, not a it's, reboot. It's a direct sequel to the ah. original. So it ignores um, Farewell to the Flesh. Fa Farewell to the Flesh. <laughs> um, and I don't think I ever saw Day of the Dead. Um, uh, I have not. I've not seen that one either. I've seen Farewell to the Flesh, which I remembered being gory, or maybe that's why. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why I'd forgotten how 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 much blood there was in this one. Because yeah. Farewell to the Flesh does not pull a punch. No, <laughs> no. Um, and uh, and B Bill Condon, the director of that movie, I think is is really one of those like underappreciated directors. Um, he um, he knows his stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and really has an appreciation for gothic horror, uh, though I don't think that uh, Farewell to the Flesh is as, um, is as good as the, the original. Um, he, I think he really gets it. Uh, he did a movie called Gods and Monsters um, with Ian McKellen. Oh, yeah, yeah. OK. Make yeah. Uh, about uh, James Whale, the director of Frankenstein, Invisible Man and, you know, his kind of... Um, unfortunate you know situation in um 
in life. So, um, yeah, I uh, that 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 always got to me. This idea that you know um, you are doing this for yourself. Yeah, you, you you brought additional pain and suffering upon a community for your own interests, and uh, and the interests may be uh, noble in your mind, but um, I think there's there's a difference between. Uh, like when someone says, uh, like, that's my truth, right? Uh, so there is my truth and there is the truth. Fair. And um, and one is, is flexible, is fluid, and um, can still be accepted. But one is accepted by the masses as, yeah. uh, as, as, as fact, as, as reality. You know, well, and and one thing, um, one thing about this movie, we, we you know, we, we I mentioned real early on that, that one of the things that you look at that's that's fascinating now because you, you can you can obviously say that this wasn't the director's idea, but there's a there's a socioeconomic sociopolitical take to be had on this and the fact that it's 30 years old and that we're still looking at some of these things. Right. That we're that we're still that we're still looking at very obvious neighborhood divides. Right. We're still looking mm-hmm. at places where where you where there you, there are still plenty of places in this country and, you know, and around the world where there is a literal wrong side of the tracks. Like right. they talk about in this movie, how it turns out that the apartment building that Helen lives in was built as part of the housing projects. But then when they realized that there was no physical barrier between that one and what they refer to as the golden coast, which I don't know if that's an actual Chicago term or not, but, um, that when there was no physical barrier that they they put up plaster and they turned it into a high end apartment because she and and Bernadette says because you've got the L train over there to the keep divides. the ghetto out yeah and so I mean so they're they're looking they're, they're you're you're looking at this idea of quite literal wrong side of the tracks is what mm-hmm. they're is what they're considering Cabrini Green and I mean. That's still something while well, I would I, I would like to say based on, you know, things that I watch and things that I know that the the idea of urban housing and development isn't as piss poor as it was in the 90s. Um, you know, but there are there are still plenty of major metropolitan areas where they have where were, you know, areas that were that were built and then just left to their own devices or just completely ignored in any sort of way of getting aid have gone to shit. And like I said, and we're, we're 30 years later and we're still watching things on the news where they refer, you know, it's like, well, this happened in this neighborhood. And then, you know, like, like the, 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 the kid who just like went, the kid who like drove to another state, not, not to get super political and current in this, but that there was that kid who like drove to another state to like, because he heard there were riots and like, and he shot people. Yes. And it's like, this kid like went out of his way to go to what he considered a bad neighborhood because he thought he might get the, he might have the chance to shoot people. Right. So like, we're still looking at this, this idea of communities that are set by what was redlined. However, many years ago, this idea that communities and, and, and major areas like that will do still end up being segregated because of things that are systemic in the system. That's, that's repetitive systemic in the system anyway you know where i was going with it no i i, I get it and I, I i think you're you're 100 right um and there's um i've seen this in miami um 
we will build housing projects and believe that that satisfies our, you know, whatever guilt we have. Right. About, like you about, about, you know, the, the conditions in this country uh, and, and then say, okay, well, our job is done. Yeah. And and wash our hands of it and and go our, you pat ourselves on the back, go home, and go on with our lives. But have we provided infrastructure? Have we really changed anything about the system? About about these stories that persist, this trauma. Have we done anything to correct this? Right? Candyman was dragged out onto a street, had the the thing that he cared most about in his life right his hand which allowed him to paint you know cut off and was was murdered by bees yes right? and stung to death by bees which let's let's chalk that up on like horrible movie like ideas for death like right. it it wasn't like it's not like the death where you get stung by a bee and you're allergic like not that that when it suck right but if you've <laughs> ever been <laughs> but if you've ever been stung by like one bee and you're not allergic it's like man that sucks that sucks imagine yeah. if that yeah. happened enough times that you died which by the by the <laughs> way did you know that Tony Todd negotiated into his contract that for every bee bite he'd get a thousand dollars i um i actually explained that story to katie last night as we were watching it i was like i was like it was in his contract that every time he got stung by a bee he got another thousand dollars he almost made as much money off of bee stings <laughs> as he did for just making the movie yeah it's uh to me that's incredible and, and and so so smart on his end because it's like hey you want me to work with a bunch of bees yeah you want me you to gotta, fill my mouth yeah. with bees? Yeah, let's go. Like, uh, I need to see green before the yellow and black goes in here. Yeah. Um, yeah, what, one of the other things that really surprised me about, like, the, the actual making of the movie was um, the director had um, Virginia Madsen, uh, the actress who plays uh, Helen Lyle, hypnotized before... Uh, the scenes where Candyman would address her, where oh, where she where she she, where had she would this, go like, glassy eyed. Yes, where when when she says later that she would um, like black out and she wasn't remembering what was going on, she was act like physically hypnotized. They had a hypnotist on set who uh, he said it took ten minutes. He would set her up. They would you know place her there <laughs> yeah and then and then they'd run through the scene she knew her lines right so she'd do it and then they had you know the 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 kill word and bam she was out of it and and everything was good and that I, is insane yeah i thought that was that was so insane and and adds some like some real like depth to to the performance yeah because those those scenes um those scenes where she's uh talking to Candyman, it's uh it's like they take place out of time right it's like whenever she interacts with Candyman, there's there's it, there we're in this uh what would what would in like it like in marvel terms it's like this mirror universe right where where nothing exists but them because they've created this pocket where only they are and when she has these interactions there's the, the way that it's shot and it's so close in on their faces and it's just his voice and it's that 
it's that tone. It's what you imagine like a hypnotist sounding it's, like. It's, it's very soft. Yes. It's it's very smooth. And and the lighting even to go back to this um like modern urban gothic feel, right? The lighting reminds me so much of the lighting that was used in in those old Universal Monster movies. Yeah, just the, uh, like, the, the light beam across the, the eyes. The light beam across the eyes. There's that like ridiculously famous shot of Bella Lugosi. Yes. Uh, with with the with the light across the eyes, um, you know, very soft focus. Uh, it's obvious this is obviously in color, but you know, this is like a throwback to uh, to that, you know, uh, that feeling that that is evoked. Or Man. the V the VIP the the MVP excuse me of just light across the eyes of course being Morticia Adams. Oh yes, oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, perfect right there. Yes, right. Um, yeah, I um, I think uh, to to get back to what we were saying about how like those those interactions between them. Um, think about how the. Uh, oh wait! Before I get into oh that, Andy, good to our, see you, man. Our our buddy Andy, our our number one fan, came in second best use of bugs in a horror film, first being Creepshow. Oh wow! Oh. <laughs> you know I I can't I can't disagree mm. with that because that that final oh, segment God. of Creepshow. My, my, my skin is crawling <sighs> right now remembering that scene from Creepshow. Oh, yeah, but we got a um, creep show, man. We, I love creep show. Oh, so good. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's a movie. I, I actually have a uh, a really big framed creep show poster that hangs right right above oh. me here. Um, Picture perfect um, box yeah. art. Just oh. you know what? Let's let, let's do one of these. <laughs> yeah, there it is. See, I, I got yeah I got creep show right there. Yeah, and uh, and D Day of the Dead. <laughs> some 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 of my personal favorites here. If uh, um, if you're listening to the audio version of this, keep a keep a check on our social media so you know when we record them live. You can comment on Facebook and YouTube, and you could have just seen Dave's amazing horror movie posters that he's got framed. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that um I just thought of as you were talking about this is um when. Uh, when we were all in quarantine last uh, last year, right, and um, America started to burn, right, um, everything Quite that happened literally. with uh, yeah with 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 George Floyd, uh, with Breonna Taylor, you know, it was it was a a real dark couple of months, and the way that pretty much all of America became entranced hypnotized because the effects of systemic racism and and uh and violence against minorities and particularly blacks became thrust onto us yeah. it was not it was not something we could ignore we did we did not have work we yeah. did not we did we, we didn't have anything except our phones and television. And it was all over both of those. And it was, and yeah. And, and so we became entranced. So to me, to see Helen become so entranced in what was if, essentially her interacting with that embodiment of racism, it, it, it only makes sense. Yeah. It, 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 it only makes sense. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this movie does does just so much 
for for the genre um like we talked about now okay i will i will preface this with saying i'm a white guy so if i it, you know if i if i say anything that's wrong then, then i apologize but when we were when we were talking with ish uh last week about um sleepaway camp Mm-hmm. He talked about this idea of how the uh, the LGBT community only has so many icons to grab onto. And so, like, if you're in that community and you're a fan of, like, slashers or you're a fan of horror movies, then, you know, then that pool gets even more shallow right. of something that you can grab onto. And I, I think that when Candyman came out in 92, not that anybody would idolize Candyman, right but you know i think that it, it was just it was one of those times where you could be like wow like the bad guy in this movie yeah he's a bad guy but like he's a but cool bad he? guy right yeah but like one is he but yeah. two like he's fucking cool yeah right like that that's one of those things it's you know like you, you look back through the, those those classic slashers and it's like yeah like they're they're horrible you know freddy krueger was a god-awful person you know yeah. but like you look back I mean, like, does, does it does it get much worse than right. a child murderer right but <laughs> but you look back at it and you're like well fuck at least he was you know like cool to watch right like yeah. freddy krueger the person was terrible. and so and you go back and it's like oh okay yeah it's like you know, uh, Jason, Jason Voorhees, just a guy who's who's out for revenge for for what happened to him and for his mom and Michael Myers and the 1000 reasons that they've given us for why he's always trying to kill Sigourney Weaver. But um, but like when this came out, like it, I can only imagine that if you were that did you, it, did you mean Jamie Lee Curtis? I met Jamie Lee Curtis. That's the Sigourney yeah. Weaver, didn't I? Yeah, I met Jamie you, Lee Curtis. You, you know, you know what's really funny is um, when Nary and I did a uh, Shiver Mystery Theater with uh with halloween he had never seen halloween before uh he did the same thing (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) but like uh but like this idea of being like whoa here is like a genuinely terrifying badass bad guy but he's also pretty fucking cool and so it's like i can only imagine that that it's it's that feeling of now now feel now being able to consider yourself a part of this community that until recently you know uh, until until that moment or until you know a few moments here and there had left you on the outside looking in so you know as we're talking about sociopolitical takes of this movie like this idea of he's not he's not just a black guy who's the bad guy he's you know, well, one, is he the bad guy? Or, I mean, yeah, he murders people, right? But, like... Well, if you murder, you're, you're, you're a bad okay, guy. Okay, yeah, if you murder, yeah. you're a bad guy. Okay. <laughs> but, but, like, but there's there's reason to look to him. I mean, like, you, like we, we keep using this idea of a myth, right? And you go back and you look at... When you read old mythology, none of these, none of these gods and heroes were flawless, but they were still looked up to. There were still temples built to them. They were still mm-hmm. quite literally worshipped. Yeah. And so this well, idea, and, and, and oftentimes you did it because of fear. You yeah. didn't. You did not want the wrath of God to come down upon you. Right. right? And so this so, idea, so you, you don't. You don't want the wrath of Candyman and what Candyman yes. represents. To come down upon you. Which puts him in the ultimate position of power, which makes it even fucking cooler. Yes, he's a bad guy, but the power that he has is, it's noteworthy. You know, it's something we're talking about. It's something that's really cool. A- absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. He is, um, 
he is up there in the pantheon of um of horror icons yeah i mean um, he's he's the he's the horror movie equivalent of like a of like a chadwick boseman bringing black panther to to the the nerd screen yeah. and then and then giving giving a place to uh, to another community that now feels like not only are they represented but they're represented by a badass yeah yeah in fact is there any other black like slasher icon like right <clears throat> excuse me I just got choked up but that's, that's I don't, what I'm saying like I, I, top I, I, of my head, I couldn't think I'm, of any. Yeah, like any that, I'm, I'm any not that, an encyclopedia of horror by, by right. any stretch of the imagination, but I. But do I'd know like quite to think bit. that if there was one that had the name recognition that Candyman has, one of us would be able to think of it off the top of our heads. Yeah. Um, you got a point there. You got a point there. Huh. Um. All right. So the uh, anytime we do a slasher. I, I I always do this. We're gonna lighten is, it up a little bit now after after that that fifteen after, twenty minutes of yeah of hard hitting news. That was really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I agree. That was spectacular. Like as soon, and, as soon as you sent me the outline for today, I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's get to this part." Uh, yeah. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Um, so uh, anytime we do slashers, um, we do tend to do a lot of slashers on here. Hey man. Um, but I love them. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. Um. Oh, uh, Andy just said, "Uh, black exploitation horror." Yeah, black exploitation horror. Yeah, there there is quite a few black exploitation horror movies. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say Blackula. <laughs> oh man! Oh uh, yeah! Shit! What a movie! Yeah, Blackula. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think that's it. Thank, thanks for mentioning that because otherwise I I, I wouldn't have mentioned Blackula. And then when I would have listened back to this. I would have been like, fuck, yeah. I didn't mention Blackula. Um, so anytime we do a slasher, um, I, uh, I do this section called Blood and Boobs because slashers are predicated upon the idea that there's, there's going to be blood, there's going to be boobs. Yes, sir. One or the other, usually both. Usually right? both. Uh, so... This is, like you said, a genre-bending movie, right? Um, but it is a slasher at heart. So as far as gore and sex goes, how does Candyman fare in this department? So and um, we've 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 talked about it, we've tiptoed around it, we've hinted at it, but um as far as the gore aspect, so if you're talking if you're talking, this is not a movie where you're going to see somebody's intestines actually pulled out. So, but what you do see are absolute gallons upon gallons of blood. The first time that we are witness to some sort of uh, what we think might be a murder at the time, but we're not 100% sure uh, that Candyman committed, is when Helen wakes up in a bathroom covered in blood, opens a door, sees a decapitated dog, sees a ton of blood, hears Anne-Marie screaming, opens the door to a nursery covered in blood. And yeah. when I say covered in blood, I mean, it is streaked and strewn all over. And, and the crib is as well. Nursery. Yes, and the crib is the crib is completely blood covered, but no baby in it, mm -hmm. because we, we come to find out that Anthony is still alive. Um, you then later go on to her uh, once again being hypnotized and waking up to Bernadette um, has been stabbed, hooked, killed, and just blood 
everywhere. Yeah. And when that you, one you, happens, you do, you do see some uh, some intestine pulled out. You you, you you do yeah. see a little bit on that one. Um, and so this is a movie that I think very effectively uses gore in the fact that it never crosses that line. One thing that I've learned about gore when it comes to horror movies, um, as somebody who, you know, we do this podcast, we watch a lot of horror movies, and, and I'm not opposed to the occasional Gorno film, right? <laughs> but um, one thing, one, one line that I have found is that people will put up with copious, copious amounts of blood. But it's when you start seeing like realistic body parts like fall out of people. That's when people tend to draw the line. So yeah. when you're talking just blood gore, this movie uses it strikingly effectively mm-hmm. in the idea that when you get it, you get a lot of it and where it and how it's used is amazing but it never crosses that line into being like hyper realistic gore that solely exists to turn your stomach like the the blood and the gore in this movie is perfectly used for cinematic effect not just guttural reaction and i I think a lot of that is because although we find violence on every street corner in this movie we are not party to it and i think that that's intentional uh just as helen is an outsider and does not witness the violence but sees the act after effects of the violence so do we uh because we don't we only actually watch Candyman kill one person the therapist. The therapist. Yeah, that was something that that never really occurred to me when I watched this in high school was the fact that we only actively witness two murders. One is Candyman killing someone, and the other one is Candyman getting killed. Yeah. So it's it's uh yeah, and, and, it's, and, and we, right. we we need to witness the therapist being murdered because that is the one that Helen herself sees. And how fucking genius is it that before Candyman bails on that scene, he cuts the restraints off her arms so they can't walk it. And I get that part of it is because he wants her to escape, but also part of it plays into that idea of like, well, now you can't just sit here strapped up until people get here and prove that I did this. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I love that. Like that stuck out to me so much because until that moment, you're still thinking, well, maybe she'll eventually prove that Candyman committed these murders. Then he kills this therapist. She's strapped to a chair. Well, like and, and remember, before that, we see the video. Right. Where you where can't she's see him. where she's where you can't see him. And it seems as though she's talking to no one. Yeah. And so so you so you've got this idea of like, finally, they've got it. This is obviously recorded right. They're going to come in. She's strapped to a chair and this guy is dead. They're going to know Candyman did it. And then just like just flawless and seamlessly just pops the restraints on her arms. So she has no ex- she has. So a one, it serves because he needs her to escape. He needs right. her to come find him. But also it serves to leave her no choice but to escape because once her hands are free, she can no longer say, I couldn't have possibly done this. I'm strapped right. to this chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so 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 when you look at the blood and, and stuff and, and stuff like that, like I said, it's just it's it's done really, really well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That was that was always something that kind of struck me about this movie is that even though we don't actually view, uh, uh, see with our eyes, 
the vast majority of these uh, of these acts of violence, to me, they're almost more effective. Yeah, because because of how brutal the end result is like we can picture it in our minds, whereas in something like uh, a nightmare on Elm Street, as inventive as the kills are, we see the kill. Yeah. Um, and and it doesn't seem as brutal as Candyman. Right. And oftentimes just like the, the, the way that characters in the movie would describe the kills, right? And they they would there were just and it, it and part of the reason it felt real is because the way it was written, the way these lines were delivered, they seemed like the real ways that somebody would talk about somebody being murdered with a hook. And so we don't watch, except for the one time, we don't watch him gut people with this hook but we get these real life interpretations of the way that it must have happened and that makes it feel more real because like you said as inventive as it is to pull johnny depp through the bed and shoot the blood all over the ceiling you don't feel that because it's just like right. i don't i don't know what happened he fell in a hole and there was a bunch of blood right but yeah. when it's somebody, mostly just oh look how cool that was yeah but when yeah. somebody says and then and then he caught a hook in the groin and he ripped it all the way up to his shoulder you're like oh god Damn, we were talking yeah. before we started recording. Like, there's phantom pain to be felt in that. That scene where uh, Jake, I believe his name is, uh, the the little boy from Cabrina Green. Yeah, who goes to the uh, bathroom while his mom's at the store. Right. Um, the He tells her the story about the little boy. And whether it was Candyman Tony Todd who did this or uh, Candyman the, you know, the... Gangbanger. That's what they call him. Um, in the movie, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is what they call him in the movie. Um, who did this? This idea that, like, something will get you. Yeah, like, it, it, it permeates everything, and it is so brutal because of the reality of it. Seeing that little boy writhe around in pain, it's oh. uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it again now. Scream, and, yeah. Uh, oh man yeah so i i think in the blood department this movie delivers like very few times. yeah and that like that rottweiler's head just laying there oh, yeah like you don't you don't have to see that he and got she's, decapitated she's covered in blood yes before it, and and she, i love that moment where she's like am i okay and she checks herself yeah she immediately pulls up her shirt right she's checking yeah. to see because her shirt there's there's blood on like the torso the midsection of her shirt so she's pulling it up and then you you see she doesn't say anything but you see a wave of relief wash over her for a split second when she realizes mm -hmm. she's fine and then you watch it set in where it's like well if i'm fine then whose blood is this right yeah it's um oh that's a great moment that's oh great so good moment. yeah um, and actually one of the few acts of violence that you do get to see is when Anne-Marie attacks her. Oh, because, and she's got the cleaver you know, in her hand. Yeah. And then she, you know, kind of goes at her and you see that spurt of blood. Yeah. And it's again, it's, it's, it's so realistic because yes. it's not like it's this like, you know, torrent of blood that comes out of her. It's a spurt, you know? And uh, but it's enough to make you go, oh, yeah, Oof. fuck my arm, you know. Um, so then uh, the the other aspect of the blood and boobs is 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 the the boobs, the sex, it's the and boobs. There, there is like no sex in this movie whatsoever. Um, and and 
what always struck me about this movie is in the same way that the movie, I think, whether consciously or uh, subconsciously, is so different from many other slashers, from pretty much every other slasher in in this subgenre. Um, like the the two scenes of partial nudity in the movie. Uh, you're 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 not supposed to be like stimulated by right like this. It's uh, it's this like repulsion. You know, yeah, or or the, or you're feeling sorry for her. Like the the first time that the first time that you see Virginia Madsen topless, it's when she's like she's having to strip down because she is a murder suspect and she's mm-hmm. covered in blood. And what you're witnessing is her strip search. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's nothing sexual about it at all because you're very much aware of the fact that this police officer is in this mode of not even viewing her as a person. Yeah, Like she is just a suspect and this is the routine they have to go through. So yeah, you do catch some side boob and a little bit of nipple, but there's, there's nothing sexual yeah. about it at all. And then the, the bathtub scene, um, there's, there's really not much to be had there either because this is a scene about her like finally coming to terms with, the affair that her husband has been having right she suspects something when she first sees him interacting with uh with the undergrad student yes right stacy stacy Stacey, yes yeah. stacy i think it is and uh which that is uh, another thing entirely because there's no way that you look at stacy and say this doesn't remind me of a young version of virginia madsen Yes. Right. So is this his MO where he uh, like is is this professor that like just preys upon his undergrads? Uh, Did he did he take Helen and prey on her? Right. As as a as a sexual predator and use his his charm and and his, um, you know, is his professorship to to get her like to woo her yeah and and now and now that he's like pretty much done with her right because he's not the one who's who's doing anything with her uh with with her with her doctoral thesis right um like he is but especially when you find out that she's in the process of writing her thesis and he is teaching a class about something similar that's when you start to get this idea of four five i don't know it's called four years ago was she stacy Right. right. Was she somebody who was so enamored? That's, that's with, what I was getting yeah. at. Yeah. yeah. Was she was somebody that was so enamored with this class that she fell for this man. And now like his passion has become her passion. And so now it's something that she's writing her doctoral thesis about because you see that that's obviously something he's been doing for a while because she says to him, you weren't supposed to teach that yet. I'm writing this. So it's obviously something that that she's experienced and been part of. Yeah. Um, so that 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 scene where you know she asks him you know where where were you last night and he says i i was here and she knows he wasn't right because but he, but he but he doesn't know yeah you know and, and he clearly hasn't been home and it's um and it's, yeah so so even in that it's moment a, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking scene right it's, she's it's in the not, bathtub yeah. and she's naked and that's something that you look for and you're like yes but like that the this the the scene that's set around 
that moment, it's again so hard to find it sexual because you're watching this. You're that's that was like the in that moment, her husband was the last thing that she had that was like a tie to reality. You know, he was supposed to believe her and he was supposed to be there for her and everything else is falling apart because it seems like she has kidnapped a child. And so in that moment, it's so hard to, to find anything sexual about it because you're watching her last little grasp on reality slip away. Yeah. Her, her, her life is crumbling around yeah. her. And, and, and that, that was all she had left. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I take it back. That is before Bernadette died. So she still had Bernadette at that point. But that's true. very yeah. soon than the last thing she had left. But that being said, so the two times that we see Virginia Madsen topless, that be, and them not being sexual at all. That being said, 1992 Virginia Madsen, smoke show. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. This, um, this is something you and I were talking about yeah. just before we recorded. Um she was she was gorgeous and so 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 we're watching it and uh and katie was like is that uh scully and i was like it's actually not it's virginia madsen i said but more so than just being scully she looks like scully so uh jillian anderson and Mm -hmm. Lori petty had a baby Huh. There is some like I I just caught it last night, but there are some angles in that movie where she is very tank girl, which yeah, very much appeals to the aging punk rocker in me. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was last night. I was like, I was like, okay, I know this isn't Jillian Anderson. Like honestly, I could not remember her name. I just knew it wasn't Jillian Anderson because I remember back in high school being like, oh shit, it's Jillian Anderson, and finding out it wasn't. So mm-hmm. I went and looked up. I was like, okay, it's Virginia Madsen. But then she catches the light just right sometime, and it's like, mm, there's some Lori Petty there too. She looks like one of those Conan O'Brien mashups, like you know, yes. if they if they made it, if but they made it, but it's Jillian Anderson and Lori Petty. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I I always picked up on the Gillian Anderson thing because um I, I grew up with with my mom watching X Files every week, and uh, and even though I wasn't supposed to watch it because I was I was way too young, God, what what a great fucking show! Oh my fucking god! Um. <laughs> In fact, one of the very first times I ever remember being scared of anything was watching that show. Oh, dude. That, okay. Uh, like, if you're watching live, you can see right now I'm wearing a Mothman shirt. Let me lean out from behind. Ah, there you go. My love of cryptids comes from the fact that the very first episode of the X-Files I ever saw was a Jersey Devil episode. Oh, that's a great Yeah, that's like, that's like, that's like first couple of seasons when there literally was a file cabinet and there was an X-File and that's where shit was. (laughs) Um, the, um, the episode I'm, uh, I'm thinking of is one called, uh, Humbug. It's a season two episode. It's one of the monster of the week ones. It wasn't one that really tied into the, you know, the, the greater mythology of the, the show, but it was one where, um, a character had like, um, uh, a twin that, was uh like not a fully developed twin who would like jump out and like kill people and stuff like I that think I remember. um ca- kind of like uh the the movie basket case yeah yeah um god what a terrible amazing but terrible movie um so 
uh, yeah, I, I remember seeing that and I, I was like behind the couch <laughs> watching, watching the movie. So my mom, uh, the, the show, so my mom didn't know. And uh, and I shouted out and she was like, what are you doing? Go to bed. I was like, oh, yes, I'm going. <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, there's there's if you, you know, just, you know, year, two, three years from now, next time you get around to watching Candyman, just look because there are just times the light catches are just right. And she's very Lori Petty. So, yeah, like I said, while, while, while the two times that, that, that we do get to see her topless, you can't really enjoy them um, sexually. You know, they're, they're yeah. great scenes. Um, but yeah. you, you, you and, can't and, enjoy and them as sexually charged moments. She's she's very attractive. She is. She is. And and so, so is Bernadette. Yes. Ber- Bernadette is is gorgeous as well. Um, so it's uh, it's one of those where um, like kudos to the director for not sexualizing um, all the women in, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, because especially in slashers that happens oh so often. Uh, but um, one laments maybe. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what could have been? Yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean, there, yeah. there's like I said, it, it there, there's a lot to be and and outs. Okay, so not necessarily gore. But in the idea of gore being something that scares you, well, there's nothing bloody about this scene. Um, I know that we are we are approaching the 90 minute mark, so we're probably going to call it here soon. But one last thing while we're talking boobs and blood is, can we talk about how effective and terrifying the idea of him having to bring her? So Candyman has to bring Helen into his world, right? Like that's part of the ritual to get his congregation back. You know, like we said earlier in the episode, I can assure you the pain will be exquisite, right? It's sacrificing her as part of the game. That's part of what has to happen. But can we talk about how effective the terror device of watching a man with a mouthful of bees kiss someone is? It's so fucking freaky. It's so weird and so out of the box. So even when I was in high school, like when you talk, when you talk slasher and you talk creature feature, those are two usually very different things, right? Arachnophobia right. is a creature feature. You know what you're in for. You're going to see a bunch of spiders and it's mm. going to give you nightmares until you're 38 plus. I may <laughs> be speaking from personal experience. But the idea of taking this slasher film and you've from the very from the very opening scene, the idea of there being bees everywhere but they've always just been an idea. And then suddenly they're such a prominent part of what's happening. And we, if you follow us on uh, Instagram, follow us, please at shiver pod, the picture that we posted to promote tonight's episode is Tony Todd with a mouth full of bees. Even if you're not afraid of bees, the concept of filling your mouth with them is horrifying even scarier possibly is the idea that somebody with a mouthful of bees might kiss you. <laughs> it's um, the, the creation of that scene is uh, so intricate. They, uh, they made a, a sort of like mouth guard for him that uh, uh, he says he went into like a trance like state. Cause it took, I'd have, a, to, I'd have it, to think so. It, it, it took about like half an hour to 45 minutes for them to fill his mouth with all of the bees. Uh, so he had this mouth guard in 
and presumably uh, so, just so none of them could get down his throat. Yeah, that's that's really why it was it, it was for that reason. So so he has this mouth guard in. I can imagine that swallowing was so difficult during that time. Uh, and like I'm the type of guy where like when I go to the dentist, uh, like that's immediately the only thing I want to do is I want to yeah, swallow. Absolutely, yeah. You know, like, you got all the shit in my mouth. I'm trying to. Yeah. So, um, like, what a fucking trooper he is, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think he said that the most things he got throughout production was in that one scene, which makes sense. Fair enough. However, Virginia Madsen is deathly allergic to bees. Are you serious? Yes. So one of the things that they did to ensure that she was okay uh, was, number one, they had, um, like, probably a, a whole a bandolier of, of EpiPens. <laughs> yes. Just, just like a pharmacy, a pharmacy full of, of EpiPens re ready to go. There's one guy that was his only job. He just always had one in each hand. I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to stab this in my fucking heart? <laughs> it's Cause I'm going to bring the rock nice. into this podcast too. That's, That's how we go. do. Uh, so, uh, God, what a great movie. I love that movie. Um, <laughs> One of what uh, one of the few Michael Bay movies that I I will defend. I will I will die on that uh, on that hill. Um, <laughs> uh, so what they did was they used like baby bees that did oh. not yet did not yet have their stingers. So uh, so when the when the bees were falling on her face, there was no chance that they were going to sting her. So, uh, but that like very nervous and worried look that you see on her face, uh, is 100% real. That is like, if, if by some chance I get stung, there is the possibility of like, uh, very serious ramifications for this. That's the face you're going to see me make when they cast me in the arachnophobia remake. <laughs> But I wouldn't kill me. I would just be equally terrified because I'm convinced that they will kill me. Right. Because I saw arachnophobia way younger than I should have been allowed to watch arachnophobia. But now I've got a podcast about it. So God bless America. <laughs> uh, so now we know what the next pick is going to be. <laughs> uh, John Goodman, what a national fucking treasure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Um, so our rating system for for this episode, uh, Daniel has once again come up with. Uh, I mean, he's hit it out of the park with this one. I the only think. way to do it. So, Daniel, out of a possible five dicks in the toilet, yeah. <laughs> how many dicks in the toilet do you give this one? Man, I this this has been the question that has plagued me. I finished this movie about twenty four hours ago, so for straight 24 hours. This question has plagued me because rewatching this movie, it still felt so good and it still felt so fresh and it still felt so relevant. And I made the comment last week that I've got to view each movie and each week as its own thing. And mm -hmm. I'm not getting paid for anything I do here. You know, I'm not at the risk for losing my job for too many good reviews or too many bad reviews. And so when it comes down to it, this movie is so perfectly executed mm -hmm. on so many levels. And watching it last night reminded me of how 
not just how great it is, but just how much I love this movie. So, uh, you know, all reviews here, only the opinions of the people actually making them take this for what you will. Uh, this fucking movie is like a five and a half out of five dicks in a toilet. I <laughs> fucking love Candyman. It it works on so many levels. And like I said, I, like I said last week, I'm plagued sometimes when I'm when I look at like what I rated, like The Shining, and so many people say this is the best scary movie ever. But uh, it, none of that matters because when I'm just looking at Candyman, and I've got to rate this movie on what I expected out of it what i think it does this movie okay so like if you've ever played like a like a rock band game right like you can five star a song but then you can also do so well that those stars turn gold yeah like candy man is a five gold dicks in a toilet it, it's 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 just perfectly executed from the minute that philip glass's score plays during the credit until the moment that you just get this zoom in on like the mural in in the housing project that that looks like Helen it was always you yeah. Helen like everything about this movie plays out so fucking perfectly and Tony Todd is so amazing as this voice you think about a Freddy Krueger you know, like, like, so, 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 you know, like your two bookends of what makes like a great horror voice are you've got your Freddy Krueger where it's this really distinct and everything I say is a, is a joke voice. And then you've got your Jason Voorhees, Drive your Michael. Out, My yeah. And then you've got your, your Voorhees, your Myers. I don't say anything. I'm just fucking terrifying. Right. Tony Todd as Candyman is this amazing 50 yard line between those two things where he doesn't talk much, but every fucking word he says you hang it's, it's on poetic and they just, they just drip with fear and with macabre. And, and this movie is just so incredible. I feel like this movie accomplished everything it set out to do. I think that 30 years later, this movie is still relevant. I think that this was the perfect idea for um, to make a new version of. I hope that the new one is good when I get a shot to watch it. This movie is absolutely five golden dicks in the toilet. Uh, it's it's funny that, that you say that because um, I knew because I had seen the movie fairly recently in the last couple of years that this was going to get five stars. Cause the last time I saw this movie, uh, I said, you know what, this, this is an absolutely perfect movie. And, um, I was able, I was able to watch it today. And, uh, as the credits were rolling, I said, fuck if this isn't a six out of five. Exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it is, um, it is not just perfect. It is beyond perfect, whatever. And, and, and I, I know that doesn't make any sense. I know, I, but, but I understand perfect, exactly perfection what you is, mean. is perfection. Right. But it, it manages to, to move beyond. It's almost like the first time that you hear the, uh, the, the guitar solo of, of eruption. Right. <sighs> and, um, and it's like, was that whole song was all like two and a half minutes of that really just one guitar solo? Yeah. What, did, was there really not one missed note? Did he really just do everything that I think he did with just two hands? Right. Um, that is what 
Candyman is to horror because it is gothic and it is modern and it is slasher and it is psychological and it does all those things flawlessly. It, uh, it, fuck it. We don't have to follow any rules. Very true. We we make our own rules here. Yeah. Right. So, so we're going unanimous six out of five. Unanimous six out of five. This is a 12 out of 10. The first time this has ever happened on Shiver, a horror movie podcast. So thank you so much for joining us tonight as we talked about one of our absolute favorite movies. Um, Actually, from from the score, you know. Maybe yeah. favorite. <laughs> yeah, by 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 Shiver scores right now. This is officially the favorite horror the, movie yeah. of Shiver Horror Movie Podcast. Um yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. Um I feel like this is a running gag now, but join us next episode where we'll be talking about the conjuring <laughs> with Neary. <laughs> Somehow it's not gonna. It's it's like that SNL episode um, where uh, where they never get to Lindsey Buckingham. He never gets to yes. say anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, oh, Lindsey, we didn't have time for you today. But yeah, so hopefully we'll be getting to the Conjuring. We, we, the, I, I, and we will say the reason we're putting it off is because we are God honestly using this podcast as an excuse to make Neri watch the Conjuring. If you have listened to Shiver <laughs> until this point, you know that he sat through some things that are classics that are great movies but that aren't anything that we know is going to terrify Neary. And we know that making him watch the conjuring is going to keep him up for at least 24 straight hours. So, (laughs) so that is why we keep putting it off because we want to know that Neary watched the conjuring. And and we had excuses. We had excuses because we had a guest on last week. Right. And and, and the the guest always chooses on and Jeff chose. Yeah. And, and so, so we had those, those two weeks of guests and uh, you know, Candyman is relevant. How can we not celebrate Candyman on the week right. that it's released? You know, so uh, it it had to be done. Had to be done. So uh, thank you so very much for tuning in. If you are listening through the podcast, please consider watching us live. Uh, I I think it's um, it's a little bit more engaging. You get yeah. to you, you get to comment with us like Andy did today. Thank yes, you so thank much, you, Andy. Andy. This, is, this um, is at least two podcasts that I'm on that, that Andy's listens to live. Yeah, and Andy Andy's great. He's he's always asking me. He's like, hey, so what are you guys gonna do next? So um, he is he is just the greatest. So th- thank you, my friend. And uh, and and all things shiver considered, now that it is September, I'm sure that if you are a shiver listener, you're wondering, you know, like how are we going to ramp this up with October and 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 Halloween season, spooky season coming. Uh, so Dave and I have been talking, and we've got at least two absolutely spectacular, I mean, straight up Halloween themed movies planned out for the month of October. So make sure you stick with us because we've got some great ideas coming down the pipe. They they will not disappoint. Uh, so you can find everything Shiver uh, at uh, Shiver Pod. So all of our our uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we should do a TikTok. Yeah. Or, uh, uh, we'll you know just, what? Maybe you know, we, we need- should. We should move the what the actual fucks that we were doing to TikTok. Yo, so speaking of what the actual fucks, just real quick, not that it, it, nobody's getting murdered, but currently in Cabrini <laughs> Green, in Cabrini Green in Chicago right now, there is a serial egger 
driving a really? white panel van and nobody knows if it's like a protest thing, if it's like an art thing or what, but he, but there is a serial egger currently in Cabrini green. Um, yes. So, so a, a lighthearted, what the actual fuck <laughs> there, there, there is a serial egger in Cabrini green right now, which is a real neighborhood in Chicago. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, actually, uh, Andy, our friend Andy here was telling me his uh, his his brother lived in Chicago right around the time that this movie came out, and uh, and, and he actually visited Cabrini yeah. Green. So make sure you head over to uh, shiverpod.com. That will link you to our geekbro.net website. But if you head to shiverpod.com, you will be able to get linked to all of our social media stuff. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We don't post a ton. We try to keep you informed about what's coming up. Try to get better about maybe giving you a couple days, you know, leeway or heads up on what movie we're going to be doing. So then if you want to watch it and participate, we'd love to have you on Facebook or YouTube once again at ShiverPod. And uh, and please make sure to tune in to our other uh, Geek Bro Network uh, uh, podcast. We've got Mount Geek More, which both uh, Daniel and I are a part of. Uh, Nary as well, who is not here today, unfortunately. Uh, we've got uh, What's Up, Bro. We've got Comedy Fitness. We've got a dose of Ellie. We've got um, Kick Flicks, the new uh, the, the new, new martial Kick arts Flicks. movies. Yes, yes, uh, and uh, we, Seasons that seasons. is getting ready to start recording about Superstore. Yeah, they've actually already started recording. Uh, so, so yeah, very, uh, very interesting on that one. And uh, and I hear there's talk about a new one brewing, or Ooh. or 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 rather, an old one coming back. So very, very interesting. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. Daniel, as always, you have been fantastic. This one, and this one was a lot of fun, man. So high. I to do this one. I agree. So on behalf of everyone here at Shiver, a horror movie podcast, fright you very much.